Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, we remember the Christmas truce, or I should say truces, of 1914, 15, and 16, most famously in 1914. Both sides in the trenches in World War I stopped trying to kill each other for a day because it happened to be a holiday, Christmas, and made friends and played games and talked with each other and exchanged items and the next day went back to trying to kill each other again. Uh, if you go to my website, davidswanson.org slash christmastruce, you'll find links to music videos and full-length films and books and fiction and nonfiction and first-person accounts and photographs of the truce. And one man named Bruce Bairnsfather, who was a, a British uh, cartoonist and humorist and writer as well as a uh, soldier, uh, who was there uh, in 1914, who was photographed there, uh, wrote about it. And a chapter in his book, Bullets and Billets, uh, chapter 8 was called Christmas Eve, A Lull in Hate, Britain Cum Bosch, and I'd like to read that chapter for you. Shortly after the doings set forth in the previous chapter, we left the trenches for our usual day in billets. It was now nearing Christmas Day, and we knew it would fall to our lot to be back in the trenches again on the 23rd of December, and that we would, in consequence, spend our Christmas there. I remember at the time being very down on my luck about this, as anything in the nature of Christmas Day festivities was obviously knocked on the head. Now, however, looking back on it all, I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas Day for anything. Well, as I said before, we went in again on the 23rd. The weather had now become very fine and cold. The dawn of the 24th brought a perfectly still, cold, frosty day. The spirit of Christmas began to permeate us all. We tried to plot ways and means of making the next day, Christmas, different in some way to others. Invitations from one dug out to another for sundry meals were beginning to circulate. Christmas Eve was, in the way of weather, everything that Christmas Eve should be. I was billed to appear at a dugout about a quarter of a mile to the left that evening to have rather a special thing in trench dinners, not quite so bully and manakushi about as usual. A bottle of red wine and a medley of tinned things from home deputized in their absence. The day had been entirely free from shelling, and somehow we all felt that the Boches too wanted to be quiet. There was a kind of an invisible, intangible feeling extending across the frozen swamp between the two lines, which said, This is Christmas Eve for both of us. Something in common. About 10 p.m. I made my exit from the convivial dugout on the left of our line and walked back to my own lair. On arriving at my own bit of trench, I found several of the men standing about and all very cheerful. There was a good bit of singing and talking going on, jokes and jibes on our curious Christmas Eve, as contrasted with any former one, were thick in the air. One of my men turned to me and said, "'You can hear them quite plain, sir.' "'Hear what?' I inquired. "'The Germans over there, sir. Hear them singing and playing on a band or something.' 
I listened away out across the field among the dark shadows beyond. I could hear the murmur of voices, and an occasional burst of some unintelligible song would come floating out on the frosty air. The singing seemed to be loudest and most distinct a bit to our right. I popped into my dugout and found the platoon commander. Do you hear the Boches kicking up that racket over there, I said? Yes, he replied. They've been at it some time. Come on, said I. Let's go along the trench to the hedge there on the right. That's the nearest point to them over there. So we stumbled along our now hard frosted ditch and scrambling up on the bank above strode across the field to our next bit of trench on the right. Everyone was listening. An improvised Bosch band was playing a precarious version of Deutschland, Deutschland über alles, at the conclusion of which some of our mouth-organ experts retaliated with snatches of ragtime songs and imitations of the German tune. Suddenly we heard a confused shouting from the other side. We all stopped to listen. The shout came again. A voice in the darkness shouted in English with a strong German accent, Come over here. A ripple of mirth swept along our trench, followed by a rude outburst of mouth organs and laughter. Presently, in a lull, one of our sergeants repeated the request. Come over here. You come halfway, I come halfway, floated out of the darkness. Come on, then, shouted the sergeant. I'm coming along the hedge. Ah, but there are two of you, came back the voice from the other side. Well, anyway, after much suspicious shouting and jocular derision from both sides, our sergeant went along the hedge, which ran at right angles to the two lines of trenches. He was quickly out of sight, but as we all listened in breathless silence, we soon heard a spasmodic conversation taking place out there in the darkness. Presently, the sergeant returned. He had with him a few German cigars and cigarettes, which he had exchanged for a couple of manakashis and a tin of capstan, which he had taken with him. The seance was over, but it had given just the requisite touch to our Christmas Eve, something a little human and out of the ordinary routine. After months of vindictive sniping and shelling, this little episode came as an invigorating tonic and a welcome relief to the daily monotony of antagonism. It did not lessen our ardor or determination, but just put a little human punctuation mark in our lives of cold and humid hate. Just on the right day, too, Christmas Eve. But as a curious episode, this was nothing in comparison to our experience on the following day. On Christmas morning, I awoke very early and emerged from my dugout into the trench. It was a perfect day, a beautiful cloudless blue sky, the ground hard and white, fading off towards the wood in a low, thin, low-lying mist. It was such a day as is invariably depicted by artists on Christmas cards, the ideal Christmas day of fiction. Fancy all this hate, war, and discomfort on a day like this, I thought to myself. The whole spirit of Christmas seemed to be there, so much so that I remember thinking, this indescribable something in the air, this peace and goodwill feeling, surely will have some effect on the situation here today. And I wasn't far wrong. 
It did around us anyway, and I have always been so glad to think of my luck in firstly being actually in the trenches on Christmas Day, and secondly being on the spot where quite a unique little episode took place. Everything looked merry and bright that morning. The discomforts seemed to be less somehow. They seemed to have epitomized themselves in intense frosty cold. It was just the sort of day for peace to be declared. It would have made such a good finale. I should like to have suddenly heard an immense siren blowing. Everybody to stop and say, what was that? Siren blowing again. Appearance of a small figure running across the frozen mud waving something. He gets closer. A telegraph boy with a wire. He hands it to me. With trembling fingers I open it. War off. Return home. George, R.I. Cheers, but no, it was a nice fine day, that was all. Walking about the trench a little later, discussing the curious affair of the night before, we suddenly became aware of the fact that we were seeing a lot of evidences of Germans. Heads were bobbing about and showing over their parapet in a most reckless way, and as we looked, this phenomenon became more and more pronounced. A complete Bosch figure suddenly appeared on the parapet and looked about itself. This complaint became infectious. It didn't take our Bert long to be up on the skyline. It is one long grind to ever keep him off it. This was the signal for more Bosch anatomy to be disclosed. And this was replied to by all our elves and bills until, in less time than it takes to tell, half a dozen or so of each of the belligerents were outside their trenches and were advancing towards each other in no man's land. A strange sight, truly. I clambered up and over our parapet and moved across the field to look. Clad in a muddy suit of khaki and wearing a sheepskin coat and balaclava helmet, I joined the throng about halfway across to the German trenches. It all felt most curious. Here were these sausage-eating wretches who had elected to start this infernal European fracas and in so doing had brought us all into the same muddy pickle as themselves. This was my first real sight of them at close quarters. Here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side that day. And yet on our side... Not for a moment was the will to war and the will to beat them relaxed. It was just like the interval between the rounds in a friendly boxing match. The difference in type between our men and theirs was very marked. There was no contrasting the spirit of the two parties. Our men in their scratch costumes of dirty, muddy khaki, with their various assorted headdresses of woolen helmets, mufflers, and battered hats, were a light-hearted, open, humorous collection, as opposed to the somber demeanor and stolid appearance of the Huns in their gray-green faded uniforms, top boots, and pork pie hats. The shortest effect I can give of the impression I had was that our men, superior, broad-minded, more frank and lovable beings, were regarding these faded, unimaginative products of perverted culture as a set of objectionable but amusing lunatics whose heads had got to be eventually smacked. Look at that one over there, Bill, our Bert would say, as he pointed out some particularly curious member of the party. I strolled about amongst them all and sucked in as many impressions as I could, 
Two or three of the Boches seemed to be particularly interested in me, and after they had walked round me once or twice with sullen curiosity stamped on their faces, one came up and said, Officer? I nodded my head, which means yes in most languages, and besides, I can't talk German. These devils I could see all wanted to be friendly, but none of them possessed the open, frank geniality of our men. However, everyone was talking and laughing and souvenir hunting. I spotted a German officer, some sort of lieutenant, I should think, and being a bit of a collector, I intimated to him that I had taken a fancy to some of his buttons. We both then said things to each other which neither understood and agreed to do a swap. I brought out my wire clippers and with a few deft snips removed a couple of his buttons and put them in my pocket. I then gave him two of mine in exchange. Whilst this was going on, a babbling of guttural ejaculations emanating from one of the lager shifters told me that some idea had occurred to someone. Suddenly one of the Boches ran back to his trench and presently reappeared with a large camera. I posed in a mixed group of several photographs and have ever since wished I had fixed up some arrangement for getting a copy. No doubt framed editions of this photograph are reposing on some Hun mantelpiece, showing clearly and unmistakably to admiring strafers how a group of perfidious English surrendered unconditionally on Christmas Day to the brave Deutschers. Slowly the meeting began to disperse, a sort of feeling that the authorities on both sides were not very enthusiastic about this fraternizing seemed to creep across the gathering. We parted, but there was a distinct and friendly understanding that Christmas Day would be left to finish in tranquility. The last I saw of this little affair was a vision of one of my machine gunners, who was a bit of an amateur hairdresser in civil life, cutting the unnaturally long hair of a docile Bosch who was patiently kneeling on the ground whilst the automatic clippers crept up the back of his neck. That's an account not of perfect harmony and understanding, but of a pause in mass murder. And why shouldn't we take as many such pauses as possible? There's been a proposal for an Olympics truce this coming Winter Olympics. There's been a proposal from a, a peace organization for a year without war in the year 2020. To the extent that such things are achieved, the lesson, presumably, as has been the lesson from the Christmas truces of World War I, ought to be, why not continue the truce forever? If you can have a truce, why end it? If you can stop a fit of mass madness, why resume it again? So these Christmas truces in World War I happened in more than one location and more than one year. Uh, another account of another one that happened in 1914 uh, in a book by Frank Richards called Old Soldiers Never Die from 1933 uh, has this first person account from Frank Richards. On Christmas morning, we stuck up a board with a Merry Christmas on it. The enemy had stuck up a similar one. Platoons would sometimes go out for 24 hours rest. It was a day at least 
out of the trench and relieved the monotony a bit, and my platoon had gone out of its way the night before, but a few of us stayed behind to see what would happen. Two of our men then threw their equipment off and jumped on the parapet with their hands above their heads. Two of the Germans done the same and commenced to walk up the riverbank. Our two men going to meet them. They met and shook hands, and then we all got out of the trench. Buffalo Bill, the company commander, rushed into the trench and endeavored to prevent it, but he was too late. The whole of the company were now out, and so were the Germans. He had to accept the situation, so soon he and the other company officers climbed out too. We and the Germans met in the middle of no man's land. Their officers was also out now. Our officers exchanged greetings with them. One of the German officers said that he wished he had a camera to take a snapshot, but they were not allowed to carry cameras. Neither were our officers. We mucked in all day with one another. They were Saxons, and some of them could speak English. By the look of them, their trenches were in as bad a state as our own. One of their men, speaking in English, mentioned that he had worked in Brighton for some years and that he was fed up to the neck with this damned war and would be glad when it was all over. We told him that he wasn't the only one that was fed up with it. We did not allow them in our trench, and they did not allow us in theirs. The German company commander asked Buffalo Bill if he would accept a couple of barrels of beer and assured him that they would not make his men drunk. They had plenty of it in the brewery. He accepted the offer with thanks, and a couple of their men rolled the barrels over, and we took them into our trench. The German officer sent one of his men back to the trench, who appeared shortly after, carrying a tray with bottles and glasses on it. Officers of both sides clinked glasses and drunk one another's health. Buffalo Bill had presented them with a plum pudding just before. The officers came to an understanding that the unofficial truce would end at midnight. At dusk, we went back to our respective trenches. The two barrels of beer were drunk, and the German officer was right. If it was possible for a man to have drunk the two barrels himself, he would have bursted before he had got drunk. French beer was rotten stuff. Just before midnight, we all made it up not to commence firing before they did. At night, there was always plenty of firing by both sides if there were no working parties or patrols out. Mr. Richardson, a young officer who had just joined the battalion and was now a platoon officer in my company, wrote a poem during the night about the Briton and the Bosch meeting in no man's land on Christmas Day, which he read out to us. A few days later, it was published in the Times or Morning Post, I believe. During the whole of Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, we never fired a shot and they the same. Each side seemed to be waiting for the other to set the ball a-rolling. One of their men shouted across in English and inquired how we had enjoyed the beer. We shouted back and told him it was very weak, but that we were very grateful for it. We were conversing off and on during the whole of the day. We were relieved that evening at dusk by a battalion of another brigade. We were mighty surprised as we had heard no whisper of any relief during the day. We told the men who relieved us how we had spent the last couple of days with the enemy, and they told us that by what they had been told, the whole of the British troops in the line, with one or two exceptions, 
had mucked in with the enemy. They had only been out of action themselves 48 hours after being 28 days in the front-line trenches. They also told us that the French people had heard how we had spent Christmas Day and were saying all manner of nasty things about the British Army. And that is Frank Richard's account of a truce that happened because it was Christmas and perhaps is known to us because it was Christmas and it makes a good story. But truces have happened in many, many wars, including wars that are ongoing and could happen today and could continue tomorrow and could be made never to end. Uh, again, at davidswanson.org slash Christmas Truce, you will find all kinds of resources, including uh, dramas, that uh, plays that can be performed uh, by you and your friends reenacting uh, the Christmas truces of World War One. links to music, including Garth Brooks' song, Bella Wood, and probably my favorite, John McCutcheon's song, Christmas in the Trenches. Uh, I have not found a John McCutcheon version of his own song that is available to uh, be played on my show without permission, but I have found a terrific version of it uh, that's uh, licensed in the Creative Commons by Thomas Burby. So here is John McCutcheon's Christmas in the Trenches. Come from Liverpool Two years ago The war was waiting for me After school From Belgium and to Flanders From Germany to here I fought for king and country I love dear Twas Christmas in the trenches Frost so bitter hung The frozen fields of France were still No songs of peace were sung Our families back in England Were toasting us that day The brave and glorious lads So far away I was lying with my messmate on the cold and rocky ground When across the lines of battle Came a most peculiar sound Says I now listen up me boys Each soldier strained to hear As one young German voice Sang out so clear He's singing bloody well you know my partner says to me Soon one by one each German voice Joined in in harmony The cannons all were silent The gas clouds rolled no more As Christmas brought us respite from the war finished 
and the reverend pause was spent. God rest you merry gentlemen, struck up some lad from Kent. Oh, the next they sang was steely not, tis silent night, says I. And in two tongues one song filled up that sky. There's someone coming towards us, the frontline sentry cried. And all sights were fixed on one lone figure trudging from their side. His truce flag, like a Christmas star, shone on that plain so bright. As he bravely strolled unarmed into the night Then one by one on either side We walked into no man's land With neither gun nor bayonet We met there hand to hand We shared some secret brandy And we wished each other well and in a flare-lit soccer game, we gave them hell. We traded chocolates, cigarettes, and photographs from home. These sons and fathers far away from families of their own. Young Sanders played his squeeze box, and they had a violin. This curious and unlikely band of men Soon daylight stole upon us France was France once more With sad farewells we each began To settle back to war But the question haunted every heart That lived that wondrous night Whose family have I fixed Within my sights T'was Christmas in the trenches Where the frost so bitter hung But the frozen fields of France were warmed As Christmas songs were sung For the walls they'd kept between us To exact the work of war Had been crumbled And were gone forevermore Oh, my name is Francis Tolliver In Liverpool I dwell Each Christmas comes since World War I I've learned its lessons well That the ones who call the shots Won't be among the dead and lame And on each end of the rifle We're the same Thomas Burby's cover of John McCutcheon's wonderful song, Christmas in the Trenches. Uh, of course, sadly, the participants did, for the most part, go right back to trying to kill each other uh, the day after Christmas or within two days. Uh, but those in charge of the armies on both sides of those trenches saw a danger and in many cases removed groups of men uh, and punished 
leaders of truces uh, and sought to restore dependable willingness uh, to kill without respite. They saw a danger and we should see a hope. A hope that people participating in war, signing up for war, supporting war, paying taxes for war, cheering for war, might take a break. Might say peace on earth and put some meaning behind those words and put an end to the endless weapons dealing and war provoking and war threatening and planet risking behavior that has become normalized in the century since World War I. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.